0: Thank you, Kristen. Well, next week is the beginning of the Advent season. That's when the church has traditionally remembered for four weeks the story of Christ's coming. That's what Advent means. And so we'll have a series of sermons that will focus on that theme of waiting and longing for the coming of Christ, both his first coming as well as his return. But today we're going to be wrapping up our short series on the parables of Jesus. And you might be jumping in maybe just at this point, even as we're finishing up, what's a parable? A parable, a word that you saw in verse three there in our reading is just a short fictional story that Jesus often told, different kinds of stories that have a deeper spiritual meaning. It was a way in which Jesus often taught to tell people, to tell us about who he was and what he came to do. And so today we're looking at the well-known parable of the sower and seed, a story about a farmer who plants seeds and, well, what did Jesus mean as he told us this story? We're going to take a look together, but first let's pause and let's pray. Let's pray. God, we need your help. You call yourself the helper, and so we know we can bank on you uh, making your name come true in this time. Uh, Please help us open our ears, the ears of our hearts, open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, because we want to hear your voice and we want to see you, Jesus, for who you really are. Come and do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, upon going downstairs to our basement, I was hit suddenly in the face with a terrible rancid smell, Uh, some mixture of rotten something, And a darkness, uh, one of those smells that you just don't want to go downstairs to find, especially after a week's worth of rain. The big question at that time was is this a terrible situation where we've sprung a leak in our basement and now we're facing the problem of mold? Or is it just a dirty diaper that just didn't find its way to the trash? We weren't so sure. We had to do a little bit of an investigation, bringing in a train of different vendors to help us to get down to the bottom of the problem. And before us, at the end of it all, sat a range of different options for solutions, a range between simply emptying the trash and one vendor's solution that would cost us $15,000 to totally gut our basement, redo the bottom, and figure out how to pay for it all right? And of course, in that moment, the question was, is this a surface issue or is this a deeper issue? Are we going to just accidentally treat the surface when there might be a bigger problem underneath? And if it's a bigger problem, how do we get to the bottom of it all? Is it a surface issue or is there a deeper issue? That's the heart of the question that Jesus is getting at as he's talking to the crowds And as he's trying to explain to his his disciples why it is that some of them are following him and some of them are not. He's telling a story here in verses 3 through 9 about a farmer who went out to sow some seed. As he scattered the seed on the ground, sort of throwing it out of his bag onto the ground, the seed landed on four different kinds of soil, Jesus tells us. Three of the soils were, we might say, they were bad soils for the seed. Only one kind of soil was good for the seed. It was the only place where the seed actually took root, grew, and produced a harvest. And you're sitting there, maybe along with the crowds that Jesus was speaking to, and you're shaking your heads, and you're saying, well, what does that mean? What are these word pictures, this scenario that Jesus paints, these seeds, this farmer, this soil? What does it all mean? Well, thankfully, Jesus, in this case, explains to us exactly what this parable means. He tells us in the second half of our passage, right there in verses 18 through 23. First of all, you will notice in his explanation that he repeats this word again and again. Hearing. In verse twenty nineteen, in verse 20, in verse 22, in verse 23, each time as he talks about the different seeds and soils, he's talking about a kind of hearing. Uh, someone who hears the word, someone who hears the word, someone who hears the word. Jesus is talking about how we hear spiritually. Secondly, we're told that the seed is the message about the kingdom, In verses 20 and 22 and 23, uh, Jesus simply calls it the word, the word about the king and the kingdom. And there he's referring to the way in which he was explaining who he was, the king that has come, Uh, the king of grace, the king, unlike other kings of the world who didn't come to take life, but rather to give life by giving his own life, by his death and his resurrection. He's a king of grace. You see, to be a part of his kingdom doesn't require you to earn your way into his favor, into his realm, but rather simply it comes to you as a gift. That's what grace means. Here's a king that rules, not by a strong hand of oppression, demanding that all follow him, but rather a king who comes with compassion and kindness. One who knows that all his subjects are subjects of weakness a king of love, a king of forgiveness, who knows that we're weak, who make mistakes, we who cannot follow well. Here's a king and a kingdom of mercy. It's a kingdom of healing, a healing that comes and extends not just to our individual lives, but to the whole world, knowing that every part of life has been ruined and affected by sin and death. So here's a kingdom which really is a promise that we've made a mess of our lives and our world, but here's a king that's going to rescue us from all the ravages of sin and of death. His kingdom has begun when he died and rose again, but he's coming again to make his kingdom flourish fully one day. The consummation of the kingdom when everything in this life, in this world will one day be perfected. No more sin, no more tears, no more broken bodies, no more pain, no more broken relationships, no more decay, no more withering away, but only life. Only perfection. Only Jesus. This is the message of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And he said the seed in his story is a depiction of this message. The soil, he tells us, is the human heart. You might have seen in verse 19, Jesus refers to the snatching away of what was sown, not in literal soil, but in what? What was sown in their hearts, he explains. Ah, the heart. The soil is the heart that receives the word of the kingdom. So the different types of soils then that Jesus is unpacking for us symbolize the different conditions of our hearts when we hear about Jesus and the kingdom. Of course, remember that the farmer scattered the same seed everywhere, whether the seed landed and took root and grew all depended not on the seed and not on the farmer, but on the
1: kind
0: of soil in which the seed landed. And here's what Jesus is getting at. Whether we understand and embrace the gospel of Jesus for the first time or whether we grow and change as we continue to embrace him and his gospel, the most decisive factor is the condition of our hearts. Your heart is the heart of the issue. You see, at the point of Jesus's ministry that we're entering into, Jesus was often surrounded by large crowds wherever he taught. That's why the story begins in verse two, such large crowds gathered around them that he got into a boat, sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Many people heard what Jesus was saying. Many people got to know him. Many people saw who he was and what he came to do, but most rejected what he said. The question, of course, was why? Jesus answered that question by telling this parable. Why did some people receive the good news of the kingdom? Why did some people seem to get who Jesus was and others didn't? You see, it wasn't the seed. Jesus was saying the same thing to everyone. It wasn't the farmer. It was the same Jesus. It was the soil. You see, some of us tend to think, in fact, we all tend to think at some time or another, the real problem for me The reason why I'm not yet a Christian or the reason why I don't think I'm growing as a Christian, well, it's that preacher up there. What I really need is a better preacher or the problem is the church. What I really need is a church with fewer weird Christians or maybe fewer hypocritical Christians. And you know what? There is ton of room for improvement in everyday life in the church that is full of flawed people. And certainly in this pulpit and in this moment, as a preacher, I don't always make it easier for you. No one is saying that there aren't flaws to be identified and even corrected in the life of the church and in the ministry of the word. But here's what Jesus is getting at What do you most need? What do you most need? In order to embrace Jesus, if you're not a Christian for the first time, or to mature in your faith in Jesus, if you are a Christian, what is it that you most need? Is it more good evidence? Is it a really good spiritual experience? Is it a good or better program for you or your kids? You see, you may need those things. But all of those can offer the best, most convincing evidence, can offer the most spiritually electrifying experience. It can bring to you the most well-run ministry program, the most impactful message ever. But if they're met by an unreceptive heart, it'll be of no good to you. What we most need, friends, is a changed heart. A heart that is ready to receive anything that Jesus speaks to your soul. Jesus, therefore, tells us that the heart of the matter is not just hearing, but how you hear. How you receive. With what kind of heart you might have. Do you have the kind of good heart that Jesus describes in this parable? Isn't that the key, as Jesus is telling us, to the kind of understanding of who Jesus is, the kind of growing in the life of Jesus that you might long for? Do you have that kind of a good heart? Well, let's hear more about what Jesus says about the kinds of hearts we might have. He tells us about three, what you might call bad kinds of soils. And he tells us about the one good kind of soil. The first kind of soil Jesus tells us about is what you might call a hard soil. A hard heart. In verse 4, we're told, some of the seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Of course, that path would have been packed down pretty hard as Different feet, footsteps came and packed down that soil day after day after day. Maybe horses and wagons would have traveled over that path as well. You see, birds snatch up that seed because the seed never had a chance to sink into the soil. It was just too hard. See, in this first instance, Jesus is warning us, he's encouraging us to pay attention to what you might call a hard heart. There are different ways that our hearts can become hard. Well, you might say one way is through the dangers of intellectualism. That's just keeping the matters of the Bible and of the gospel, just a a matter of logic, a matter of the mind. And don't get me wrong, of course, the Bible invites us to think hard about the things of God and the claims of Christ. Jesus himself in Matthew 22 says that we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, yes, with all your soul, yes, and with all your mind. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 also says that the way we change is by the transformation, the renewing of your mind. We need to think thoughts after God as well. This is not saying that we don't need our intellect, but there is a kind of intellectualism that keeps Jesus just as a matter of thoughts of the mind without letting the truth of the gospel penetrate your heart. It never moves you. It never even becomes personal enough that you even realize it's supposed to move you in your heart. The gospel makes contact with your life, but it never really sinks into your soul. Maybe that's something that we do intentionally, maybe subconsciously, always keeping what God says at an arm's distance. Have you been doing that lately? Well, you're never really willing to say that part of the Bible, what Jesus just said. He's talking to me. That maybe you're always someone who's thinking that God has a lot to say to other people. But you don't realize he's also speaking to you. Let's be honest. Maybe some of you are doing this right now. I know I tend to. Don't you? The way in which we forget that at the end of the day, everything you encounter in the word of God, every time you hear about the story of Jesus, every time you hear about the good news of God's grace, You really need to make sure the arrow is always pointing at you first. When we don't do that, our hearts become hard. Where we kind of keep a distance away from what God is saying to us. Sometimes we let our intellectualism sort of uh, make us the final judge of truth. We sort of stand back and we say, well, I like that and I don't like that. I think that's true, and I don't think that's true. Uh, But what we are essentially doing is making our own hearts unreachable by the word of God. In other words, when was the last time, just as a test question, the last time that you actually let God change your mind about something? Uh, When was the last time that you were struck in your heart, that you were dead wrong about the way that you were looking at life, the way that you were looking at God, the way that you were looking at other people, the way you were looking at yourself? Here's another way in which our hearts become hard. Cynicism. Uh, where you're sort of always uh, distrustful of everyone and everything. You sort of expect the worst of people. Now, I understand that some of the reasons why a lot of us are cynical is because we've been hurt. Uh, we're suspicious because of our wounds. Suspicious of the church. Suspicious of God himself. Uh, Some of us have assigned the role of critic to ourselves. If you're only and always seeing the worst sides of the church or of people or of the Bible, there is no way that you'll ever have an open heart to what the Bible might actually have to say to you. If you're always a critic, you can almost guarantee that your heart is hardening over. All of this, of course, can be driven by fear, as I said, maybe by fear of new wounds or fear of re-experiencing old wounds that you might have. But fear, too, can create a hard heart. You're unwilling to take the plunge. You're unwilling to be hurt, but in closing off your heart, you're also, therefore, unwilling to rejoice. To really experience the true healing of the gospel. Sometimes we have a hard heart because we've so distanced ourselves from God because we're really afraid he might take something that we really, really want. Sometimes that something that we're trying to protect can even be an area of sin. Sometimes we have hard hearts because we are justifying our sin. A certain behavior maybe that you suspect that Jesus might ask you to change. Or maybe you're protecting an unhealthy relationship. Maybe you're protecting an unhealthy mindset or lifestyle. As Jim Boyce, a a preacher of long ago who's passed on, once said, Sin hardens the heart. And the heart that is hardened sins even more. Do you have a hard heart because of the presence of sin in your life. And of course, there are other ways in which we can cultivate a hardened heart just by the ways in which we're living our lives. You know, because busyness can create a hardened heart. Not just because activity makes our hearts hard, but because it can turn our attention away from our hearts and just swallow up all of our energy, all of our attention, away from our souls. Uh, We're so distracted sometimes from our interior that we're moving our arms through life, as it were, and moving our feet, getting from here and there, not realizing all the while that our hearts are calcified, non-responsive to the things of God. Here's an interesting thing that Jesus points out. That it's the hard heart that becomes vulnerable to the attack of the devil. See, a hardened heart actually can appear the least spiritual, just sort of keeping a distance. Only thinking in terms of reason and logic and other people and not really about myself. And yet, it's the hard heart that leaves the seed at the surface, the most vulnerable. To the birds, as it were. The devil himself snatching up and eating up what was in fact sown in the first place. Friends, if your heart is hard, you're very spiritually vulnerable. Uh, You might feel in control. It's why we're sometimes hardened in our hearts for the sake of control. But don't you know you're in danger? Friends, are your heart's hard? Number two, we have before us shallow soil, Uh, what you might see as a shallow heart. We're told in verses five and six that some of the seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And so you have to picture a, a sort of a rocky ground with a thin layer of soil on top. We're told it sprang up quickly, the seed, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Jesus explains in verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. You see, the seed initially finds just enough soil to produce a little shoot. It springs up quickly and it responds with even a visible response. And yet it doesn't seem to last. In the first place, Jesus gave us a warning about the hardened heart that is prone to intellectualism, never letting the seed sink deep into the heart. Here he's touching on the reverse, what you might call emotionalism emotionalism there's a quick springing up of response but there's no depth jesus says no root to the sea they receive the word initially with joy but when the scorched sun of life trials hardship even persecution comes the seed quickly withers away It's sort of this picture of the person that's attracted to the excitement of what might be happening. Maybe it's the initial exhilaration of spiritual experience. And maybe it's actually just relief from pain or loss that a person might be looking for. And that's what attracts them initially to Jesus and his kingdom. And maybe initially they do find some relief. The story of God's forgiveness the comfort and care of the community. But if there's no deeper root, then the seed won't last. If there's no depth and maturity of understanding all that Jesus promises to be for us, then the seed doesn't last through the tests of pain and hardship in life. Or for the person that might be a longtime Christian, but maybe in your growth, you are always looking for a spiritual experience to propel you along the way. For me, it was at a time in my earlier years as a Christian, the experience of the retreat, the Christian retreat, right? Almost couldn't find myself identifying as a Christian without another retreat to tell me that I was. A wonderful night of praise. A wonderful message that moved me deep in the heart, even to tears. But without mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, it was almost like I didn't know that I was the real thing. Didn't know that there could be the possibility of being the real thing, apart from spiritual high. And in fact, what I later learned was the normal Christian life I used to interpret that as spiritual lows, Just the day in and day out slugging through faith, perseverance, obedience to Christ, loving neighbor, time in the word, repenting of sins. It's a slog. It's a joy, but it's also sometimes mundane. And yet the seed that is looking for the quick shoot, the emotional high, the spiritual experience will soon find herself or himself at a loss. With the loss of a job or illness or heartbreak or challenges to their faith or even persecution. Jesus says, initially there might be enthusiasm. And yet this seed, because there's no depth of root, no maturity built over time, no perseverance and discipleship and learning roots, roots deep into the deep things of God's word and kingdom, the seed quickly withers away. Friends, do you in the second place have a shallow heart? Number three, the third kind of soil that Jesus describes is crowded soil. He's talking about a crowded heart. We're told in verse 7 that other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Jesus explains what this means in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns, he said, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So this soil is overcrowded by thorny weeds, Well, how do weeds kill plants? You know, they drink up all the water and they eat up all the nutrients in the soil. So they starve the seed. Jesus is talking about a a strangled heart. Uh, There's other things, other objects of our love and worship that choke away all spiritual vitality. And he points out two in particular that are worth paying attention. Worries. And well, worries and well, the thing about worry is not only that it's draining and it is anxiousness and worry can drain all the attention from your radar screen spiritually, can drain all your life's energy, can take away and rob all of your focus. It can quench all of your soul's imagination. But even more than that, worry also reveals the deepest worships of your heart. If you pay attention to the things that you're most anxious about, it'll tell you a little bit about what you love most. If you look at what is consuming your mind and making you most nervous or stressed, it'll tell you what you're clinging to and worshiping as a God, as it were. Look into that thing to give you what only God alone can give you. Joy, security, happiness, meaning, a name. What is it that your worries might be exposing in your heart? Jesus also points to wealth. And of course, money is a gift from God. Our possessions are a gift from God. They're not to be despised, but they are to be regarded as dangerous. Just like every one of the best gifts that God gives us, there's always a flip side. They can be misused and mishandled in our hearts. As Jesus says in Matthew six twenty four, No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. How easily money itself, wealth, can become a God in our hearts where we bow before that God, sacrificing everything in our life in order to have it. Reading through Ecclesiastes in this past week and came across chapter four that had these two really poignant sentences that caught my attention. It says this, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. In other words, uh, this wealth that this proverbial person was chasing after, it didn't satisfy his soul. And yet, why was he pursuing so much wealth? Well, that's why he was working so hard and laboring such long hours. Well, why was he laboring such long hours? Because he was so lonely,
1: friendless,
0: familyless. It's worth paying attention to. Some of us overwork because we're underfriended. Some of us are pursuing wealth to feed your hearts in a way that only people, and especially the person of God, was meant to fill. There's a deceitfulness that wealth can bring about as we pursue it, because wealth doesn't just purchase for us more money, it purchases control. At least the illusion of it. Control over our circumstances, control over our pain, control over the threat of bad health, control. What is it that money uh, pretends to buy for you that God alone can really give? When our hearts cling to our worries and cling to our wealth, there is no more room for God. The weeds of the heart choke out, strangle any place for the seedling of the good news of God's grace to grow up and to take root and to bear fruit in our lives. It's deceptive, but it's worth paying attention to, dear friends, even today. What are the weeds in my heart that are crowding out the seed of God's word? Do you, friends, today have a crowded heart. Jesus, of course, ends the story with a good heart, good soil. Finally, at last, we get to what he says we ought to have, even as we appreciate his helpful words to diagnose the kinds of heart we often and typically do have. Finally, we get to the fourth soil, the good soil. In verse 8, Jesus says, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He explains in verse 23 then, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Jesus says, what is it that you most need? You see, what is... The, the biggest challenge, the biggest problem, the greatest need that we have in receiving the word of the kingdom, in receiving the king. It's not the circumstances out there. It's not the delivery system of the news. It's not the farmer. It's, it's, it's not the seed. It's the soil. Will Jesus, who sows and sprinkles The seed of his words into your life, will it be met with a good heart? And what is that? Not a hard heart, but a soft heart. Not a shallow heart, but a heart that's enabling God's word to plant deep roots in it. Not a crowded heart, but an undivided heart that wants to receive Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus invites us to consider what it looks like to cultivate this kind of soft heart. Years ago in our backyard, I endeavored to plant a a new lawn, a a, a new bunch of grass, not a big plot, uh, but a big enough challenge for me. And the biggest challenge of all was to discover that what we actually had in the backyard wasn't normal dirt, but clay, thick dense clay that made it virtually impossible for grass to grow. And so the hardest part of the job for me was to haul dirt by the truckload into our backyard, to put a whole new layer of soil where the grass could finally plant itself, deepen its roots, and grow. And to this day, about half of it is alive. No, (laughs) it's doing all right. It's hanging in there, but had no chance without new soil being put. You see, this is what we need, friends. New soil. Have you recently asked God to break up the hardened soil in your hardened heart? Have you recently asked God to pull up weeds that maybe are stealing the affections and loves of your heart? Have you recently told God that your heart has resisted his roots from really planting itself down? Have you asked God for a good heart? A new heart. In fact, this is what Jesus promises to give. We hear this in the prophets. Ezekiel 11, for example. When God looks ahead to the work of Christ, when he would one day come, we're told these words, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You see, here's the thing. Soil can't remove rocks from itself, can it? Only the gardener can do that. Uh, Soil can't uh, rake and break up hardened soil. Only a gardener can do that. Soil can't remove weeds from itself. Only a gardener can do that. Have you cried out to the gardener lately and asked him to have mercy upon you, to give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a new heart? He will do that for you. He will do that for us. In fact, this is one of his greatest promises that he will change us from the inside out. Because after all, we need to be convinced by Jesus that that is our greatest challenge. As we seek to maybe embrace Jesus for the first time, maybe that's your story. Or maybe as you seek to grow in Jesus And you're hitting these roadblocks and you're wondering why you're not receiving him. Why you're not growing. Do you understand? It's not what's out here. It's what's in here. And the only one that can really dig deep to break up that soil in a way that it can take root when the seed is planted. To produce a harvest of life and love for God and for your neighbor. Is the gardener is the king, and his name is Jesus. So what does this look like practically? What does this look like practically? There's a phrase that we're going to hear sung again and again in the coming weeks as we approach the Christmas holiday, and it's a line from the song Joy to the World, and you might be familiar with this phrase, this line, where we sing, let every heart prepare Him, room. What can we do as we seek a soft new heart from the gardener, Jesus? I want to give you one practical word and a few ideas really quickly as we finish up. It's this word, preparation. Friends, sometimes our hearts are hard. Sometimes our hearts are crowded. Sometimes our hearts are non-receptive to the word of God's grace. Because we haven't given it a chance. What would it look like for us to make more room to receive? To prepare our hearts? Well, what could that look like? Maybe what that looks like before you come to the worship service each Sunday over the next couple of weeks. It might mean quieting yourself, sitting down, And praying that God would ready your hearts for whatever he has in store for you here today. Maybe it means coming a little bit earlier to the service and sitting down uh, to gather your thoughts. uh, Maybe to pray, but maybe also just to sit in silence. To prepare your hearts and make him room. Maybe it means even starting that process on Saturday night. Maybe preparation starts to dictate how you spend your late Saturday evenings because you know how you wake up in the morning sometimes is shaped by how you went to sleep, isn't it? Preparation of our hearts. Or maybe as you prepare to pray, do you prepare before you pray? You say, what does that mean? Well, sometimes my heart is so noisy and my thoughts are running around so quick, I can't even hear God, let alone know even what to ask of God, or to sit with God, maybe what you most need to do is just to quiet your heart of all its noise. Preparation even before we pray, or maybe even before you sit down and have a conversation with a friend, when you know you're going to be talking about your spiritual life together, and you know they just might be a messenger of God's eternal truth in an unexpected way. You should expect that, by the way. You just never know what a friend might speak into your life. Are you ready to receive it? Or will it be met with a hard heart, a crowded heart, a noisy heart? Well, will you prepare for that conversation? It might not be something big. You need to take a long retreat before you sit down and have brunch with them. No, but it might be taking a deep breath. And stepping in or whispering a prayer. Lord, whatever you have in store for me in this hour together. Speak to me. Your servant is listening. Whether you come before a book. Whether you come before a class. Whether you come before a small group time. Whether you come before a song that might stir your heart towards love of Christ. How can you engage in better heart preparation? Preparing the Lord room, as the seed of God's word is scattered over your heart, moment by moment, day in and day out, week after week, will you give your heart chance? And so to notice the weeds and to examine them, to ask Jesus to remove them, to notice any areas of hardness and to pray that God would break up the fallow ground, to give the roots of the seed of Christ, a chance to deepen itself into your heart. This is what you're called to do. Because the heart, dear friends, is the heart of the issue. And will we in the coming weeks, especially during this holiday season, it's going to get busy, isn't it? Will we be among those who endeavor to let every heart, every heart, prepare him room To prepare the seat of the gospel room. Will we? Let's pray. Jesus we ask that you would. Give us new hearts. Hearts like yours. Undivided hearts. Removing hearts of stone. And giving us hearts of flesh. That the gospel might take root. And bear fruit of love. And mercy and joy. Care for one another. Worship to you. All the ways in which you long to see a harvest of righteousness and justice and hope spring forth from our lives. Do that by beginning with this fresh heart that you so long to give us. You do that even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. Light, light. Mike on here. All right. I want to ask if you have any questions. We'd like to do a little bit of QA just to interact with the teaching, make sure that you're clear on